So I was studying all day today. I came in after lunch, and um, if, you, if you're new here, one of the things that we do if we're not like talking um, through like a series, a topic of stuff, is we go through the book of Matthew. And so I jumped in, and I was going through the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew 12, starting at verse 22, and I'm working through it, and I spent all day kind of trying to figure out what it was talking about and listen to pe- other people and commentaries and all this kind of stuff. And it is a really interesting topic, but it's super intense. And I walked in here tonight, and I saw, like, man, it's weird weather, and we're kind of, and so I am going to totally, on the spot, change it up, all right? Because um, I was going to do this message, but then I thought, dude, it's a holiday weekend, you know, like, it's just kind of weird weather, and so I want the people who showed up, because it's kind of a low-key night tonight, to have some fun and us to do something a little bit different. So here's what we're going to do, is um, I used to do this back in the day. If you grew up in my youth group, I used to do this, and I've never done it at Young Adults, is on the spot, we're going to do um, like what's called like an open mic kind of deal, or a hot seat, and what it is, is we're going to give you the opportunity to ask some questions and then you and I can, if we want, we'll dialogue a little bit, or you can ask a question, you can sit down, or if you're afraid and you don't have a question to ask, or you have a question to ask, but you don't want to get up and ask it, we even have this wonderful technology in which you can uh, text in your question, and it will come to my phone. That's not my phone number, uh, but it will come to my phone, and then I will read it, and it will be anonymous, and you can say crazy things. <laughs> it would be so silly, okay? And so we could do that, all right? Okay, so here's what I want you to do, because maybe you haven't thought of your question yet, you did not know this was coming, is we're going to take like 90 seconds, and you, with the people People around you, if you want, you can introduce yourself, get to know them, and say, if there were one question that you could ask about God, about Christianity, about faith, whatever, what would that question be, all right? So take like 90 seconds and start to dialogue and think about what that question is. Go. All right, I see some of you guys texting in questions. And so here's how I'm going to do the questions, okay? Is I'm going to answer as many as I can in the time that we have. And um, I will put priority if you are willing to go to one of the microphones right here and ask the question out loud, okay? So I will answer those questions first, and then I will go to the text message questions if there's nobody at the microphones, okay? So that's kind of the deal, is if you're brave enough to ask the question, we will give you... Uh, the shot first at whatever it might be. Um, And so, um, okay, I've already got a bunch in. They're coming in right now. You guys are texting. You guys are speed texters. Okay, so let's jump in. And then if I see somebody at one of the mics, I'm going to go to you next. All right, here we go. Um, Oh, what up? First one. Okay, all right, here we go. Okay, you're going to make it like super technical and hard, and it's going to be your first question. Go. Let's hear what you got. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to be that guy. Yeah. So why did God choose Israel as his special nations and not give those same opportunities to like the Philistines or the Assyrians or any other nation? Okay, why did all right. say Israel is my special people? <laughs> did I hear that? Good question. Good question. Good question. This is not the price is right, okay? This is not the price is right. Like, that's not how this works. All right. 
Why Israel? Now, I cannot tell you, I'm not, I don't know God's mind as far as why these particular people. Do I think that there was something special about them? No, I think it's because God chose them that they were special. Now, why only Israel versus other nations is because Israel was supposed to be the nation that brought and was the... Um, kind of the the messenger and the representative of God to the rest of the world. And so they were supposed to be unique. And that's why they had all these weird laws, okay? So if you look in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus, you see that there are not only God's moral law, like don't, you know, kill people and adultery and all these things, so 10 commandments, those are those are laws that we should follow, but you also see these different laws like dietary laws and you see laws of what you can wear and what you can't wear and they're very strict and they're very and because God was trying to set this group of people apart from the rest of the world so that the world would take notice of who they are, what they're about, and the God that they worship specifically, because all the nations had their own gods, and and they kind of had these beliefs, like whoever uh, was winning at wars and things like that had the most powerful God, and so God chose these people to be different than everybody else, to be set apart so that they could be representatives to the rest of the world of who the true God is in the midst of uh, the pantheon of gods, okay? That's as good as I've got. Good luck to me. All right, good question, though. Good question, good question. Okay, yes, right here. Hello? Okay. Yes. Um, how do you know, like, when you're being told something or guided by God or if it's, like, the enemy disguising himself? and trying to confuse you? Good question, good, good, good question, good question, good question, okay. God, why are these hardball questions right off the bat? I should have gone with the text first, because the text was, what's your favorite band? I'm like, okay, I can do that. Um, all right, discernment, we're talking discernment. How do we know when it's God, and how do we know when maybe it's ourselves, or even the enemy is trying to deceive us? All right, so there's different tests, and it, this, this idea is, in the Bible, it does talk about discernment, and it talks about being able to discern certain spirits and things like that. But without getting overly spiritual, let me give you some really practical uh, advice. Is Whenever I'm trying to make a decision or I feel like I'm supposed to do something, there are a series of, there's a series of questions and kind of um, steps that I take in order to make what I believe is going to be a wise decision. So have you ever read the book, uh, Andy Stanley's book, The Best Question Ever? The best question ever. Yes, write that down. Good. Um, taking notes. Fantastic. The best question ever. I love that book because it asks a very practical question, which is what is not, what, not what is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, but what is the wise thing for us to do? And we can run it through uh, different grids. So one of the grids would be, according to the Bible, is this a good or a bad thing? Okay, so that's like an obvious grid. Like if it's against what the scripture says, definitely not God, okay? God's not telling you like, no, no, you're cool. You're different. You should do it other ways, okay? That's not happening. The other thing is, um, in Proverbs, uh, Solomon, the wisest person ever to live, great decision maker, or at least tells us how to make great decisions, maybe not himself, he says that we are to seek wise counsel, so that's one of the ways. So you find someone who can see things from an outside perspective and give you good advice, okay? So for me, that's like my parents, is my parents are, they're smart, but they're also really wise according to the scripture and just through experience. And so I'll go to them and I'll run it through that grid. And of course, we run it through the, run it through the grid uh, of prayer. 
is, okay, what do I feel like God is telling me to do? And so when we've gone through these steps where we go, okay, what does the scripture say? Um, what do I feel like God's telling me to do? Uh, what does wise counsel tell me? Eventually, you're going to have to make a decision. And if all those things check off like, yes, 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 you can at least feel pretty confident that you're making the right decision and you're not going to. So when people come to me, it's usually I can find out in one of those three steps if it's a good or bad idea. So people come to me all the time and go, well, um, you know, I'm thinking about dating this person or we're getting serious. I'm thinking about and I'll ask a question like, are they a believer? And they'll say no, and I'll go, wrong. Okay, you're not supposed to marry them. I can already tell you. I don't, I don't even know how awesome they are. I can already tell you, according to the grid, it's not going to happen. So I don't know if that, that helps or not. All right. Okay, who else we got? Should we, uh, can we go to text messages here? Because I have a lot. You guys are. All right, here we go. Uh, favorite band and why? I don't know if I have a favorite band, but... I will tell you the band that was my favorite, and I, I can't really do it anymore because it's, it's sketchy, is Sublime. I grew up listening to them. They're from down the street. That is like when I was in high school and junior high, that was the jam. And so that's probably what I listened to the most. Now, uh, yeah, I, don't even, I don't even get to listen. I listen. I think I've heard... You've got a friend in me from Toy Story and Moana's um, song about a trillion times this last week. So those are kind of my jams right now. Okay. All right. Yes. Hey, uh, so a question that we get asked a lot down in Skid Row, working with Product 54, is why didn't God kill the devil before the fall? Why didn't God kill the devil before the fall? All right. Oh, good question. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Good question. Good question. Um, again, I'm going to give you like flyby answers on these things, okay? These are things that people study their entire lives. I'm going to give you like a flyby, let's see. Okay, um, why did God not defeat Satan prior to the fall? So we have to kind of unpack that question a little bit because we have to ask first, what is God's purpose in creation? And so God's purpose in creation is to bring as many free agents into a relationship with him as possible, meaning he wants us to be able to choose to follow him or not. And so I was uh, actually talking to my sister this week, and she kind of has some questions about evil, like what is evil, why does it exist, things like that. And the thing about evil is evil, uh, I'm trying not to use like philosophical words, but evil doesn't exist, the word is like ontologically, um, it doesn't exist like good exists, because evil is the perversion of good. And so what exists is God exists, and God is good, and good things flow from his character, and he creates good things, but then he gives us the free will to choose what we want to do with it. And so when we choose to use it correctly, it's good, and it's healthy. And when we choose to use it incorrectly, it becomes perverted or evil. And so evil is a perversion of good. Now, how does God allow us to come into a relationship with him freely? We have to have two options. We have to have the ability to say, I will either follow you and accept who you are, that you are the, the ultimate authority in my life, or I will reject you. And so Satan is the first and most powerful rejection of God as authority, okay? And so if you look at, and I, I'm hoping this makes sense and I'm putting it together, is the reason why God did not defeat Satan prior to humanity's fall uh, is because he wanted us to have a choice and free will to choose or reject him. Okay, so hopefully that makes sense. If not, we'll chat again uh, later. Okay, anybody? Oh, yes. Hi. Yes, sir. Can God create an object that he can't move? That is so funny you asked that because I was thinking about that today. 
Good question. Good question. Okay. You need to go to seminary because you would love, these are like the questions that they ask in seminary. They, I remember my grandpa, when I was little, he asked me, my grandpa's a pastor, he said, Cody, do you think that God can create a rock that is too powerful or too heavy for him to, to lift? Now, you know what? Let's have some fun for a second. Take 30 seconds and discuss it really fast. I just want to hear what you have to say about it. Just go, go, work on it. What do you think? Yes? No? Maybe so? Can he? No. <laughs> okay, my son says no. That's her. My son says no. Okay, so um, very interesting question. But let's phrase it in a different way. So what we're asking is, can God, who um, by definition is the, what we call the greatest conceivable being, meaning all the properties that make God great, he has a maximal amount of them. So, so for example, uh, properties that would make someone great is he's loving and he's kind and he's um, just and he's also powerful. And, and so all the things that would make a person great, God has the maximal amount of those, including strength, okay? And so if we rephrase the question with that principle in mind, what we're really asking is, can God, who, is, um, who, who has all the power and strength that is available, that, that is possible, can he make something that is heavier than infinite, infinite, uh, infinite power? Well, it doesn't really make sense, right? And this is kind of a hard concept, but if he has infinite power, how do you make something more, uh, more heavy than, than infinite it just doesn't, it doesn't correlate, right? Like, I know it's kind of hard to understand, but the answer is no, okay? The answer is no. All right. Does that make sense? Nod your head if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Okay, we're getting it. It's a, you guys in the fourth, fifth row, not feeling it at all. Screw, okay. All right, good, fine. All right, what do you got? All right. If God judges you and condemns you to hell, is it still possible to be saved? Okay. So is hell eternal? Light question. That'll be fun for tonight. Um, so there's various views that are what would be considered orthodox, but pretty much every orthodox view would say that it is, it is permanent in one sense or another. So there's a minority of people, although they are still within like kind of the, the bounds of, of Christian orthodox, that would say people go to hell and then they are annihilated, meaning it's as if they had never existed. That, but that's a pretty small portion of people because most people believe that um, hell and is eternal because we are made in God's image. We are soul creatures, and so our soul will continue on. Now, can we be saved out of hell? The answer is, I don't. Th- you would not want to. So there's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, and it is a great book. You need to read it if you haven't read it before. And it is this whole book how C.S. Lewis imagines that people who are in hell, they take a trip up to heaven and they are given the opportunity to go into heaven. And every single one says no. And the reason they say no is because they don't like um, the fact that there are all these other people who are in heaven that they don't believe should be there. 
And so they go, how could you let this adulterer, how could you let this liar in heaven? This place is awful. You'll let the worst people in here. And the reason is, is because they're still trying to justify their righteousness. They're still trying to say, I'm good enough. And these people who are worse than me were allowed in. And so you have to read the book. It's very interesting. It's not theology. It's imagination. But it gives you insight into the human nature, our rejection of God, and trying to be our own God and things like that. So The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis is a short read. Check it out. Okay. Yes. Okay, this is kind of like a personal question for you. Um, I feel like I'm in like a dry season of my life kind of thing, but I still want to be on fire for God and find out uh, what my next thing is. But I just, I'm kind of stuck. Like I used to want to read my Bible all the time and do all this stuff. And now I'm like, eh, rather off Netflix or do whatever. And so I kind of was wondering what you do. So I have a question for you. Yes. How long have you been a Christian for? Um... For six months, six I would months. say, yep. Yep, six months. Yep. So, that, no, 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 that's, a, that's why I asked you. No, I've grown up in church, but six but months like six started months, following. you've been serious yep. about it. Exactly. Totally. Okay, yep. great question. So, there is, um, there is this thing that you should look up. It's called the, I cannot remember the author off the top of my head, but it's called The Dark Night of the Soul. And it's this idea in, in Christianity in which uh, when we become a Christian, it's ex- and this is kind of true of everything, right? If you've ever been in any relationship or have a job or something new, it's like a honeymoon period where you're like, this is the best thing ever. Oh my gosh, I love them. And six months later, you're like, I can't stand them. They're the worst, you know? Because you kind of, you're not, no longer infatuated with them and you're like, oh, the, whatever. You kind of see them for who they are. Well, something similar happens with everything in life. And so the same thing happens with our faith is when we meet Christ and we get into a relationship with them, it is amazing, it's awesome, and then it starts to, the excitement, the adrenaline starts to wear off, if you will, and then we start to actually have to kind of go into the daily grind of this whole deal. And that's the same as marriage, is you will get married and you will not wake up every morning and go, they're like the most awesome. I mean, my wife does this all the time, but like, they're the most awesome person in the world. I cannot believe I'm married to them. This is, no, no, no. There will be days where you're like, we are married and we are staying married today, you know? And you're just gonna grind through and you're going to be married. And, and here, the scripture actually talks about why this happens, is God will intentionally, after this period of excitement, he will kind of wean you off of the excitement so that you can now learn spiritual disciplines. When you don't feel it any longer, when you're not excited about it anymore, you will still dig your heels in and say, nope, I am a follower of Jesus whether I like it or not. I think Mother Teresa, actually, her diaries are incredible insight into this because Mother Teresa's story is that she became a Christian. She felt like she had this very intense relationship with God at the very beginning, and then for the rest of her life, she felt like God was not there at all. And so she would get up every day, and she obviously she pursued an incredible life that um, was after Christ, but if you read her diaries, it's another day of darkness, Another day where it doesn't feel like God's there. Another day in which he's absent. I want to hear his voice. I want to know him. And yet every day she gets up and she says, but I will continue to follow whether I feel my faith or not. And so that being, that, that's kind of one side of it. The other side of it is, um, and so you're, since you're kind of new to this whole thing in a sense, I think that's probably what's going on. But there's this other side for some of us who have been Christians for a really long time where we still experience that. And I think that there are a lot of factors that go into spiritual dryness, and I feel it all the time, is um, it, could be, uh, it could be physical. 
You could have some kind of physical problem. You could be tired. You could have some kind of depression. You could be going through some transitions in life. Uh, it could, of course, be spiritual, some kind of spiritual warfare. Um, it could be a ton of different issues and why you feel that. And so I think at the end of the day, though, we eventually have to say, I'm following whether it's fun or not in this moment, just like I'm going to stay married, whether I'm really into it today or not, with the hopes of, of course, that it won't always feel like that. So hopefully that helps. Okay, cool. Did you? Yes. Um, I'm never going to get to text. You guys are on it. That's hot mic. I just had a question, um, like... The Nicaea Convention, they're the ones that they, they put the Bible together in its, its final form as we read it today. Um, but there were other books left out of the Bible, and there were books that, that um, Jesus, like his disciples and stuff, passed around through churches and stuff. Is it wrong for us to read those books and to look into it? Because I feel like it's answered a lot of the questions I've had about my Yeah, so, so what you're asking about is the, the, like the canonicity process in which how did certain books books make it into the Bible and others got rejected out of the Bible? Yeah, I guess what I'm more asking is, is it wrong for us to seek, to read those other books? Like why, yeah, I guess like why, why were yeah. they taken out of the Bible? Yeah, so, so great question. Again, seminary, go to it. You'll learn a lot of good stuff. Um, <laughs> but let me see if I can just give you kind of a flyby answer. Is the books that are in, this, in the Bible um, are not just arbitrarily put in there. They didn't go like, I really like this one, you guys. Let's put this in there. This one's cool, right? Yeah. No, no, no. They had specific requirements in order for the books to get into the scripture. And it was known amongst the early church that these were the books that were recognized as uh, authoritative and others that were rejected. And so you have some things like uh, the, the Gospel of Thomas, for example. The Gospel of Thomas was written, um, and I can't remember the dates, but it was written, I think, 100 or 200 years after the rest of the Gospels. And so there was no eyewitnesses, and, there was, uh, and it has a lot of myth and, um, and kind of fairy tale aspects to it. And so if you look at it, there's parts of it where you have like the cross coming out and it's speaking and it's giant and it's just, and it looks nothing like the rest of the gospels. And so part of the process of the books that got into the Bible was they had to be stamped as approved by the early church and the disciples. So the disciples either had to be writers, they had to be uh, people who were involved in the writing process of it. And so each um, gospel, for example, is attached to one of the disciples, but the other gospels that are rejected are not attached and are later, uh, later um, written later, oh, and so they're that. rejected. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's why certain books made it in and certain books didn't. And we could talk more afterward if you, okay. you're interested, or, or actually talk to Ryan. He's smarter than I am. Have him talk to us. He's, he's into this stuff. So anyway, good question, though. Great question. Okay, should I go to my text messages? All right, here we go. Um, whew, we got a lot. All right, uh, where, where do I get my haircut? Thank you. Um, if you only had 60 seconds to tell an atheist about God, what would you say? Ooh, so like an elevator speech, what would I say? That's a great question. Um, I, you can't get a whole lot done in 60 seconds, to be honest. Okay, so here's something interesting. Is it really depends on a lot of your theological beliefs and, and how you believe that God calls people into relationship with him. Um, but probably the way that I would do it is I would just simply ask them questions. Um, I have a, my, funny enough, two questions came together. My hairdresser's an atheist. And, uh, and so I talk to her about it all the time. We have conversations about it. And I go, well, why are you an atheist? And she's like, well, I don't know. I just think, of it. and I just keep asking her more questions until she finally just goes, 
yeah, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that before. And I go, well, you should come and check it out. Or you should come in, whatever, you know, and I just ask more questions until it doesn't take very long for them to realize, I haven't really thought about this for very long, you know? And I think it at least maybe strikes, and the best I can hope for is it strikes up an interest that they want to pursue um, um, more information, and then I kind of direct them. So that, that's all I got. Okay. Um, what do you think about the Nashville statement? Are you guys, have you heard about this? been on the news? All this kind of stuff. Okay. Um, who do you think, uh, what do you think about the churches who accept homosexual couples and their church as members and such? So this comes up every single time. I've actually done a talk on it. You can get it on our app or on our website, and I did it about homosexuality, and I also did it uh, about uh, transgender. Uh, I did, I, I think I did, it was a, a gender talks to Jesus is one of them, and then uh, homosexuality. And um, what do I think about the Nashville Statement? I think it is the same thing that the church has been saying for 2,000 years, and people should not be surprised about it. And in fact, it's kind of like a, duh, what did you think that everybody believed? What did you think that the Bible said? And so if the Nashville Statement, which is about homosexuality and God's design and things like that, if it was written 15 years ago, there would not have been a word said about it. I think it's because we're in a very interesting political climate right now, and there's a, we're in this cultural moment in which it's at the forefront of people's minds. But if it were written 15 years ago, nobody would have blinked an eye because they would have gone, well, yeah, we know that. You guys have been saying that for a long time. That's what you guys have always believed, and you know, we'll agree to disagree. So that's the Nashville statement. Uh, churches that accept homosexuality is, let me, let me kind of parse this apart. Every church should accept people who have um, and, sh- and struggle with or whatever with homosexual feelings because everyone has their stuff. That is just one of a laundry list of stuff, and we just happen to be in this cultural moment in which that's the hot topic. If you had said this in the 1980s, it wouldn't have been homosexuality. It would have been greed would have been the issue that people were wrestling with or that we're pointing out. So don't get hung up on this is the thing This is the thing right now, and in 15 years, there will be a new thing that people are all chatty about and all obsessed with. Um, So do I think that they should be welcome? Of course, everyone is welcome. Of course, Satan worshipers, come on in, you know? I will try to change your mind. And And so, yes, everybody is welcome. But there is a huge difference between loving someone and accepting everything that they do. And this is, uh, this is uh, and I could go on and on about this forever, but this is something that we as a culture have, uh, have misunderstood. We believe that tolerance means that I will not only um, tolerate your behavior, but I will affirm your behavior. Whatever you do, I affirm your decision in doing that. That is not what tolerance is. Tolerance is I disagree with what you think or what you do, but because I love you, I will, uh, I will respect your opinion. That is what tolerance is. And so, um, and so do I believe everyone's welcome? Yes. Will I accept everybody's behavior? Absolutely not. And that is not just a homosexual thing. That is an everything. That is even in my own life. I do not accept my own behavior as something that is positive or good. And so I will call that out across the board. That is not unique sin to any of the other sins. It just happens to be the hot topic right now. Okay. There you go. Whew. Good answer, good answer, good answer. No, I don't get that? <laughs> All right, well, forget you guys then. Um, okay, since Jesus was Jewish, why do we believe Christianity is the most true religion? So that's kind of an interesting question, is we do not believe that Christianity is a, is a, uh, is a 
different religion than Judaism. We believe it's a continuation or a completion of Judaism. Meaning, uh, Judaism was all pointing towards Jesus and it comes to its completion in Christ. Not it is a different religion and then so we are here and they are there and we're completely apart. No, 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 no. We believe that, we are, that, that, that Christianity, Jesus, is the fulfillment of Judaism. And so those who do not recognize it, we believe, have not recognized that the person that they're waiting for has actually come and he's here and he wants to know them. So hopefully that makes sense. Okay. Um, oh, geez. Uh... Is hell a place of continuous suffering? Oh, we've talked about that, okay. Why does God allow the same bad things to happen over and over again and not stop it? These light questions, you guys. Can you guys give me something a little bit tougher? Okay, (sighs) the problem of evil. Why does God allow bad things to happen, especially to good people? So again, we have to um, go back to God's purpose in creation. If God's purpose in creation is to create a bunch of people who are happy, God is doing a horrible job, right? He's doing a horrible job because for the most part, most of humanity is not happy and the moments that we are 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 very temporary. And so God's purpose in creation, he's either doing a horrible job at it or his purpose is at something else. And we know, of course, his purpose is to have as many free people, so that means we have free will, as many free agents come into a relationship with him as possible. Now, we may not like it, but it is the truth that um, we are more willing to accept God and be in a relationship with him when we are in suffering, not in prosperity. If you think about the times in which you were at least most open to God or you grew the most, it was not when things were going awesome and you're like, this is freaking great, thanks God. You know, I'm gonna spend way more time with you now. No, 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 no. In fact, the West is a great example if we just take the Western world as a whole. The Western world, um, in comparison to, let's say, a third world country, the people in third world countries are far more open to the gospel because they're closer to their needs and they realize, I'm not in charge. I don't have this figured out. I need somebody to save me. Us who are in the Western world, we're comfortable, we're fat, we're happy, everything is great. And so we think we don't need God. We can reject him. In fact, we want to get him out of here because we've got this figured out. And so God allows evil things to happen, one, I think, because um, that is how we come into a relationship with him. Now, there's different, uh, there's a ton of different directions. This, the problem of evil is the problem, okay? I'm gonna be honest with you. We could talk about this for hours. And so let me give you two things that you can research on your own time if you're interested. Look up two things. Alvin Plantinga, P-L-A-N-T-I-N-G-A. Alvin Plantinga, he is one of the world's most famous philosophers. He's a Christian and Philosophers believe he has defeated the philosophical problem of evil, okay? So it's called the intellectual problem of evil. Most philosophers say he has kind of cracked the code on how we answer that question, okay? So if this is a topic that you're like, I want to know more, look at his uh, answer. He's got a whole book on it. You'll be like fascinated. Okay. All right. What's that? Oh, two. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's the intellectual problem of evil, and then there's the evidential problem of evil is um, we can make sense of, or, or the emotional problem of evil. We can make sense of why God will allow things to happen. It makes sense intellectually, but emotionally we reject the idea. We go, well, well there's so much evil that it just doesn't make sense. It's like, it's like there, is, um, there, is, there is an abundance or uh, an abundance of evil in the world, too much evil that um, the idea of God allowing it to happen just doesn't wash. Okay, and uh, again, my sister and I, we were talking about this this week, and so I would ask you the question, what amount of evil is appropriate in the world for God to allow? 
And so you can come up with different scenarios. The problem is, is you would have to, um, you would have to tell me why that scenario that you come up with with the appropriate amount of evil, let's say the appropriate amount of evil is uh, one person in the world dies every year. And you go, that I think is an appropriate amount of evil in the world. And I'll go, whoa, 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 whoa. And I can make a case for why that's too much evil in the world. And you go, okay, 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 not everyone dies. And I think we could get it to the point where we say, stubbing my toe is too much evil in the world. And so we're really trying to create a scenario and an understanding of the world that we just don't have the ability to grasp. And so, for example, um, we don't have the perspective that God has. And so when he allows something, we don't know why he's allowing it. So there's a, uh, oh, oh, do you remember this, this movie, Butterfly Effect? Yeah. That movie tripped me out back in the day. I still remember the scene in which he's got like the paper things right here, and he's like, Gah! have you ever watched magicians on YouTube who do that, and they mess up, and it goes through their hand? Check that out as well. Okay, um, in the movie, what happens is this guy, he tweaks something, and he doesn't realize that it has a ripple effect throughout his entire future. And so his life, because he did this one action, changes everything else in his life and everybody that he knows their life as well. And it's because we don't understand the ripple effect that whatever we're going through, whatever we're doing, whatever we're thinking, that it has on the future us, on future family, and even on the world. And so we don't have the perspective to know why God allows certain things to happen and not others. Because there could be an effect that we don't see 2,000 years from now in which we go, I would have never thought that because this happened today, that would happen tomorrow. And of course, Jesus' death and resurrection is the perfect example. If you're standing at the cross, you go, I can make no sense of this evil. This is horrible, and it is. I couldn't imagine that anything good come, coming out of this. In fact, this is the most evil that's ever been done because a perfect person was murdered for something he didn't do. And yet, because you and I don't have the perspective in that moment, the greatest good was being done because, because of Christ's death and then resurrection three days later, all of salvation comes to humanity or salvation comes to, to all those who accept it. And so you don't have the perspective, I think is one of the other answers. Okay. Whew, all right, got that out of the way. So we got the homosexuality and the evil. Good. It's all cruising from here on out. Okay. Can someone lose their salvation? That's what I was going to talk about tonight, and I didn't. So be here next week, because I'll talk about it next week. All right, we'll see you then. You're going to be on pins and needles all week. Woo! You'll be like, oh, crap, I think I did. I think it's gone. Where'd it go? Uh, you'll be right. No. Um, what do you know about gangland? Everything. I've seen every episode. Thank you very much. Um, okay, is it possible for someone like Hitler or Stalin to be welcomed into heaven? Is it possible for them to be welcomed? Yes, it is possible. And, and that's actually, again, what I'm going to be talking about next week is, is there something that you do that is so bad that God cannot forgive you? The answer is no and yes. <laughs> okay, hey, yo, be here next week. <laughs> okay, okay, um... How do you know when you're ready to get baptized? Great question. If you have dedicated your life to Christ, you need to be baptized. So that's how you know when you're ready. If you've given your life over to Jesus. So um, in a lot of churches, it happens the same day. Literally, if you're like, hey, today, if you want to accept Jesus, I want you to stand up and come down and get baptized. And so like, there's, it's weird. Some churches like ours, people have this, like, I need to, 
I need to prep. I need to make sure I'm ready. I need to make sure the moment's right. I need to make sure everybody can come to the after party. Like, you know, and it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. It's just you publicly declaring what you already decided. And so you do it as soon as possible. It's kind of like, whatever. Okay, get it. Okay. Um, okay, let's see. Why, why does it seem that in the Old Testament, God takes a more tough and angry approach than in the New Testament, seeming more loving and easy? Um, so I would actually reject the premise, and here's why. Is if you've been here for the last two years and you have heard us going through the book of Matthew, you realize that Jesus is not a sweetheart all the time, okay? Uh, he says crazy things and it's offensive and it's like, wow, I, wa- I walk away after studying it going, okay, that was intense. That was really intense. And I know you feel like, because some of you guys have told me, wow, that's really intense. I'm like, I know. I didn't want to preach it either, but you know, Jesus said it, so I'm going to go with it. So um, I don't believe that Jesus and the Old Testament God are, are any different. I think there's love and compassion and yet justice in both, uh, both conceptions of, of God in the Old and New Testament. Okay. Um, how would... How would Jesus react to how things are in present-day America? How would the world receive him? Great, great question, two-part question. How would Jesus react to how things are in present-day America? I believe he would react the way that he did in the Bible. Right? I mean, because he, he, he was under um, Roman rule, and it was way more screwed up than our nation is. Like, yeah, we got problems. <laughs> no, no. There, when you came into some of the major cities, there were people who were crucified lining those roads on your way in. We don't have that problem. And so things were way gnarlier in those days than they are now. And so I think he would go, look, um, I'm about the kingdom. I'm about the kingdom. I'm about bringing the kingdom to earth. And so, yeah, politics, I'll talk a little bit about it, and I'll give you some practical advice. And, but I'm just going to tell you what it looks like to live in the kingdom, and uh, we'll figure out the rest. So, okay, second part of this. Uh, oh, shoot, I lost it. What was the second part? Oh, how would the world receive him? They would kill him. So that's how that would work. Um, all right. What do you think about Ryan's roses? Like, oh, Ryan Seacrest or Ryan Weckerman? Is that... Is that <laughs> Weckerman. Okay. Oh, you got, you got a question? Uh, yes. In the uh, Old Testament, why would God allow Satan to uh, torture Job and Job? Okay. So, so I think that really is asking the question of um, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I really think it's the same answer in that um, God will allow, okay, so I've actually taught on um, the same thing when it happens to Jesus. Jesus is tempted, and so he's got 40 days in the desert as he's fasting, and then um, the Father allows the Son to be tempted with all of these different things. And I think there's different answers, but one of the the answers is um, God will allow us to experience this temptation and oftentimes trial because um, he is bringing us into a spiritual battle and needs to prepare us. And so the analogy that I would use is the uh, Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs have to go through a torturous um, program to be able to become Navy SEALs. Why? Because 
we want the best to be on the front lines. They're about to enter into a war, into a battle in which we don't want people who are gonna give up easily and quit while they're in the midst of battle. And I don't think that the spiritual battle is much different. I think God goes, look, you're gonna be at the forefront. You're gonna be in this cosmic spiritual battle. And so I've gotta prepare you. I've gotta take you through the ringer in order for you to do great things in the kingdom. And so I think there's a, an analogy there between preparing for war uh, physically and preparing for war um, spiritually. So that would be one answer. Okay, um, I like this question. How does Big Bang cosmology integrate with Christian theism? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, okay, so Big Bang cosmology is, you guys know it, it's not a show. Um, it is a, a scientific theory in which um, about, uh, what is it, 14 billion years ago, give or take a little bit, uh, all of time and energy and matter came into existence in literally a, a, a uh, they call it Planck time. It's like in a fraction of a second, it all just explodes into being and, uh, and, and you know, fast forward and here we are today. When I read that, and of course, not just me, there's so many books written on this, so many books written on this. When you read that account and you read the Genesis account, you go, that's weird. Like, those two are pretty similar, you know? Like, that's crazy because what we're reading in Genesis is not a scientific book. It's, it's theology. We're, we're talking about um, has, has creation always existed? If not, who created it? That's what Genesis is talking about. And then we look at science and we go, oh, wow, that's crazy. Like creation came into existence. And so, by the way, if you go to the uh, early part of the century, this was not the consensus of the day. The consensus, scientific consensus, was uh, what's called the steady state theory in which um, we are that the, pretty much that the universe is eternal. And they discovered that not only is it not eternal, but we're expanding. And if it's expanding, that means we, if we reversed it and we contracted it, it had to go down to what's called the singularity. And so the singularity is this, again, plank time, this moment in time in which everything comes into existence from nothing um, and which would obviously need an explanation. How do we explain everything coming from nothing? And so you get to this timeless, uh, materialist, enormously powerful and smart something that had to bring it into existence. And of course, that is a great pointer to God. We look at Genesis, also makes sense. Tons of scientists that you can read um, who, uh, who would say the same thing. In fact, it was a, a, um, a Catholic priest who made the discovery that, of the expanding universe, I believe. Lamatre, I think is his name. I don't know, it's been a while. Okay. Um, did, oh, this is a fun question. Did God populate the world through incest? <laughs> ah, you guys are like, I'm so glad I'm not Adam and Eve right now. Um, so it depends on who you ask. Certain people would say yes, and the, why, the reason that could happen is because there wasn't the disease um, and issues that we deal with. I, however, do not hold that view, thankfully. Um, my view, if you look at it, you see in um, Cain and Abel that when, uh, when he is sent out and he has to go out and, and be on his own, that one of his fears is that he's carrying around a scar and that other people will end up murdering him. And he's supposed to be Adam and Eve 
child. And so where did all these other people come from? Where did all these cities come from all of a sudden? Where did they pop up? And so for me, that's a good pointer that says, okay, Adam and Eve, first creation, or, or however that worked, um, and we can get into that whole deal, but that there somehow was other people there, and there was a lot of other people there. It wasn't like, oh, I'm walking around, and I'm going to run into Joe, because Joe's the only other person that's running. He's like, oh, there's a lot of people around. I'm kind of scared of him. So anyway, there's your answer. Okay. Um, oh, good question. Oh. I'm going to kind of... Uh, you actually have to have shoes in order to uh, it's all right. ask a question. Okay, so, so sorry, it's like a rule that we have. After the flood, okay. there's three couples, Noah's sons and their wives. So all of those people from them were cousins having sex. Yeah, so it depends on how... Uh, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. It depends on, on your view of the flood. And so a lot of contemporary theologians would say that the flood was a local flood, not a global flood. Now, we can get, I know, ooh, you guys are tripping out right now. Oh, crap. Um, we could talk about that later if you want to. I'll just throw that one out there, okay? But a lot of theologians would say um, that the, the perspective of the writer, when he looked at the world, he didn't, know, he didn't get to go to outer space to know how big the world was. The world, according to the writer, was flooded. Everywhere that you looked, flood. Now, are we looking from God's perspective or are we looking from the author's perspective? So is it from God's perspective that the world, everything, is flooded or is it the author and his perspective of the world, everything is flooded? There you go. Okay. Um, okay, uh, is Christian the theism compatible with Darwinian evolution like neo-creationism? All right, I'm going to give you resources because I'm not going to bore you with this right now. But if you, if you are interested in this topic, there are a few different viewpoints. One would be, um, and kind of the head of this viewpoint is an organization called BioLogos. And the head of that is uh, 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 Francis, um, oh gosh, what's his name right now? I can see his face. Fran not Francis Chan. He's a pastor. Francis, what the frick is his name? Anyway, he was the head of the Human Genome Project. So he's the one that helped decode um, human DNA. And he is an incredible scientist, also an evangelical Christian. He started an organization by, called BioLogos. He is a hardcore evolutionist who also is a Christian. And then you have on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have what's called new, um, it's called uh, uh, seven-day creationists or whatever, um, in which they believe God created the world 6,000 years ago in seven literal days. And then you literally have every view in between on the spectrum, and you can land anywhere, and you're still good. All right? I'm going to leave it there. Francis Collins. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Good answer. Okay. I knew it was Francis. I want to talk to Francis. Okay. Um, that was an old school movie. Did anyone even know that reference? That's, that was Dave Chappelle's first ever appearance. And he sang that song. I want to talk to France. No? Okay. God, I'm old. Okay, I've got time for one last question. And uh, I want to make it a good one, but I don't have time to go. Does anybody want to jump up on the mic for one? Yes. Okay, here we go. So um, you hear Jesus saying that if anyone would come to him, that they should pick up, um, deny themselves, pick up the cross and follow him. And um, you see him see to the disciples that he chose. And um, even the rich young ruler. And, uh, but there were, in, there, there were times when, this is especially when he was healing them. Um, Mark 2, I'll use it for my example, when he was healing the, um, the paralyzed man, um, he even said, told him that uh, his sins were forgiven. And he told him to pick up his mat and go home. So why didn't he tell him to follow him? 
Mm, that's a good question. Okay, so why does God not say, follow me? And so um, I'm going to give you what I believe is the correct answer, but I don't know like, if the Bible explains to us, so mine's going to be more of a practical explanation of why I think God, uh, Jesus would say this, but it's not going like, to be, okay, here's the verse that says it. Anyway, um, what would make sense to me is that, okay, how can I make this a simple answer? God wants us to follow him, but also live in the world, okay? So we've heard this explanation before, is, um, and it's actually in the scripture. It's be in the world, but not of the world, right? And so how are we going to go and affect the people in our lives if we're living this maybe a monastic life or whatever it is? And so not everybody lives this Christianity out the same way um, in, in, in the world, right? Some of us are called to follow Jesus in this very practical, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna live this crazy life in which I'm gonna serve people and I'm gonna journey and I'm gonna, okay, that's for some people, but that's not everybody because Christians are called to be at all ends of the earth. And so some people are called to go on this crazy journey with Jesus and he's gonna take them around the world and some people are like, no, you need to go home and you need to tell your house about me. That's gonna be your ministry opportunity. And so my practical answer would be because Jesus has ministry opportunities that vary from person to person, and so he calls us into uh, different contexts and in different ways, all right? All right, you guys, that's it for tonight. Thank you for being here. I think we all survived, so excited. Be here next week. We're gonna jump back into Matthew. Other than that, hang out. God bless you guys.